After the service, when we finish with the hanging of the greens, it is going to be beautiful in here. I'm excited to at least have the chrismon tree and, and the advent wreath today, lighting the candle of hope. It adds to the joy of the season. And then Steve reads us the scripture from the lectionary today, and it feels like it's bursting our festive bubble just a bit. I was a little tempted to march in here looking very stern and carrying a sign that said the end is near. After all, that's what a lot of people hear when they listen to apocalyptic texts like this, doom and gloom and fear. When I lived in Boston, I could always count on one particular guy to be at the corner of Faneuil Hall Square with just such a sign. He would rant, and when anyone passed by, he would shout at them, shout at us all about how we were all going to hell. Sinners, watch out, he would say as he pointed his bony finger at us. Wake up, turn from your evil ways, the end is near. Children would run past him or cling to their parents. I would hasten my steps and try not to look at him lest I get one of those bony finger points. And when I found another entrance to the square, even though it was two blocks away, I started taking that. This is the time of year when we remember the birth of Jesus and prepare to welcome him again into our hearts. Why does Jesus tell his disciples about the sun and the moon turning dark and the stars falling from the sky? They want to know. They want to know when the end will come. Far from being scary to them, it is a welcome thought. Living under the cruel Roman occupation makes life a struggle every day, and they want a drastic change. If the end is coming, it means the beginning of God's reign of peace. About 70 years after Jesus' death, when the gospel writer Mark comes along and tells us about all of this, he is living at a time when the Romans are persecuting his people far more than ever before. Even the temple, the center of Jewish religious life, has been destroyed and the people are devastated. The scripture begins by saying that all this will happen after the suffering is ended. The earliest readers of Mark's words would immediately assume that he's talking about all the carnage that has happened in the Jewish-Roman War that has dragged on for four years and brought so much death and heartache. For many years, those in power have trampled on the people as if they don't matter at all. In first century cosmography, the stars and the sun and the moon represent the rulers and powers of the world. Apocalyptic speech is highly symbolic. Jesus is saying that those in power in this world will be cast down and the reign of peace, the kingdom of God is coming and God is going to make everything right. People who are in pain and barely surviving today, people in war-torn countries or people who face poverty can more easily see the second Christ, coming of Christ as something hopeful. Those of us who are self-satisfied and don't want life to change are usually the ones who are afraid of it. 
Yet we all long for some sort of transformation, don't we? We are longing for our broken world to be made whole again. Many scholars today believe that Jesus is really describing in this text what is happening at that moment and what is just about to happen. With the chaos swirling around him, he speaks these words days before he is led to the cross. And then describing his passion, his suffering and death to come. As David Lowe's explains it, Jesus is declaring that his return, when the heavens shake and the sun is darkened, occurs precisely at the moment when he is nailed to the cross. And our breath is taken away as we see God's love poured out for us and for all the world. It seems to me that the second coming will be like the first. We can expect Jesus to keep loving us like he always has. And if that's true, then there's nothing to fear. God brings us good news in Jesus Christ that is fresh every morning. A new day filled with new possibilities to live into the hope of Jesus Christ. It isn't a surface type of hope that is only accessible when life is going well. It's the kind of hope that endures whatever comes our way. A Columbia Seminary professor named Lucy Rose had cancer. And as it progressed, she kept a journal that was later published by her father, the well-known author Ben Lacey Rose, whom I heard speak often. On the worst days, Lucy said, she chose to pray because she trusted that despite appearances to the contrary, she and this world remained in God's embrace, resided in God's love. She had a regular spiritual discipline every day, visualizing giving all that she had and all that she was back to God. She said, I have spent a lot of time in silence and crying. And in that quietness and through those tears, I discovered three things about my life, three wishes. I wanted to see my little girl who is four years old grow up. I wanted to move into old age with my husband, and I wanted to finish that dissertation. And I found myself giving each one of those wishes to God. God, if something happens to me, can I trust you to raise my little girl? Can I trust you to raise her to be a child of yours, to give wisdom to my husband and to those who love her? And can I trust you to give my husband the love he needs? And will you open a future for him without me? Can I? Can I trust you? And then as she prayed these things, she would say, I can trust you, God, as I always have. Then she would visualize her daughter and her husband shining with the light of their baptisms as she handed them over to God and let go. In the moments of such prayers, Lucy said she had a deep sense of peace. She still had times when she had anger or doubt, when overwhelming grief was all she could think about, but then she would remember that her family and this world belonged ultimately to God 
and she could keep just releasing her pain into God's care. How do you and I live in this already but not yet time, the time after Jesus has come into the world, the time when Jesus walks beside us but has not returned again? In a book called Clowns of God, the novelist Morris West tells a fictional story that I think can help us here. In his story, it seems that the Pope has had a revelation that Christ is returning. But when he shares that with the other clergy, the cardinals and the bishops, they think he's gone senile. So they take him to a monastery, hoping that he will either just stay there or that he will get better there. Still, before he goes, the Pope manages to get the word out to some other people. And one of those groups meets in the hills of Bavaria on Christmas Eve. When a man who seems to be from Middle Eastern descent joins them, they ask if he's a believer. He says, I'm not a believer. I am he. Give us a sign, they say. If you were really he, you would say, ask and it shall be given. Ask, he said. Time, they said. Enough time to change the world, to beautify it, to cleanse it, and to prepare it for you. I accept he said. How much time do we have, they asked. I won't say, he said. Not much, but enough. Isn't that what we wonder? Do we have enough time? Enough time to finally let go of that grudge? To offer the forgiveness that we've been withholding? To say we're sorry to someone who longs to hear it? to give away lots of our accumulated stuff, to give money to help feed people who are hungry and provide coats to those who are cold. The wonderful thing is that we don't have to worry about what we should do if the world ended tomorrow because we can start doing those things right now. We can live like that now, knowing that Jesus is with us, loving us, helping us to experience transformation in our hearts and in our lives. In our scripture today, Jesus uses the example of a man who leaves his home to go on a journey and tells the people who work for him to take care of things until he returns. Since they don't know when he's getting back, they don't know, they don't want to get caught asleep on the job. Are we caring for God's world and the people in it in a way that would make Jesus happy? Do we even think that way? Do we try? The idea of Christ's return isn't about making us so nervous that we won't measure up. It's about awakening and hope. Too often we fall in a pattern of sleepwalking through life without really living it. Jesus asks of us that we let him into our hearts, not just once, but again and again, trusting that he can help us to live fully and to love deeply. We can never do it perfectly, but we do what we can do and we live in a way that matters. We don't give up because Jesus is right there with us. When I saw a video of my youngest nephew, Silas, learning to walk, it reminded me of what a difference it makes to have someone there to support you and catch you when you fall. Silas made a few tentative steps and wobbled a little, 
But his dad was with outstretched arms, just waiting, smiling at him, urging him on. You can do it. You can do it. It gave Silas the courage to keep going until he landed in those arms and he smiled and he giggled and he couldn't wait to try it again. Even in the most difficult times of our lives, the arms of Christ are reaching out toward us and we can almost hear the words, you can do it. I'm right here. We want to stay spiritually awake because God is at work in the world in wondrous ways and we don't want to miss it. God shows up in our lives through grace-filled moments and through other people when we least expect it. So we need to be ready. Getting ready for Advent, Christmas, or the second coming of Christ is not something to do out of fear, but with excitement and hope and anticipation. A mother and her eight-year-old son were in a car on the way to school. The boy asked his mom, do you want me to throw the confetti in my pocket? No, not in the car, she exclaimed. Why do you have confetti in your pocket? Her son replied, it's my emergency confetti. I carry it everywhere in case there's good news. What a great way to approach life. Maybe we should carry a little confetti in our pockets too. Our hope is in Christ who brings light into our darkness and calls us to share that light with others. Now, don't worry, I'm going to clean this up after the service. Advent is the beginning of the church year, so Happy New Year! <laughs> it's a time to prepare our hearts, remembering that God came into our broken world as a vulnerable infant, that he is with us still, and promises that in the end, I've got confetti on my notes, all of us are in the loving arms of God. And God waits with those arms, urging us, to first, urging us to find our best when we wobble and to walk toward the one who loves us more than we could possibly imagine. Advent challenges us to reassess the direction of our lives. Are we living like we believe the gospel? Could we do whatever we can day by day to build the world we long for? at least the best we can until God completes it, trusting that God who has entered this world and redeemed it in Christ will ultimately come again in Christ, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of love. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs>